Hello and welcome back to another episode of C-Suite Conversations, Franklin Covey's newest weekly podcast where after five years of hosting what is now the world's largest weekly podcast for Franklin Covey called On Leadership with Scott Miller, we spun off this new conversation uh, with interviews around sometimes famous, sometimes less famous members of the C-suite from all industries, all walks of life, where they share insights from their own professional journeys. We have great intimate conversations on their successes, on their failures, on really introspective things they've learned that often are replicable as many of us on our own paths to the C-suite or perhaps as the leader of our own side hustle or entrepreneurial journey can be beneficial. Today, our guest is Bob Parsons. He is the founder uh, and CEO of Yam Worldwide. You know him best <coughs> as the founder of the GoDaddy collection of companies. He founded GoDaddy.com. He is on Forbes' 400 most wealthiest individuals as a renowned philanthropist, veteran of the armed forces, and entrepreneur at heart. Bob, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Scott, good to be here, brother. Honored to have you, sir. As I mentioned to you off-air, I want to thank <coughs> you first and foremost for your selfless service to our nation. As a member of the armed forces, you have served uh, for our country in combat and uh, had a remarkable journey with our conflict in Vietnam. Maybe, and perhaps most importantly, at least to me, more even than your entrepreneurial pursuits, would you take a few moments and talk about what your journey has been as a, uh, a member of the military service, perhaps some of your experiences, and why that's grown such a passion for you and fellow veterans? Well, you know, I, I, I joined the United States Marine Corps when I was 17. And I was in high school and I was failing a few subjects. My mother signed the paper so I could do it. I got my order, showed it to my teachers. They all passed me. I um, uh, Then uh, my me and a friend or two friends, we all joined together. So we went to Paris Island. We went through that in August which was uh, a lot of war pretty warm, I got to tell you. And then uh, uh, home on boot leave and then, you know, stop to get back in shape in California, Camp Pendleton, and then right to Vietnam. So um, when I got to Vietnam and, and you know, the, the way it worked is, is when you enlisted together, you always would go to different combat units when you went to combat units. And uh, so anyhow, I went to Delta Company, 1st Battalion, 26 Marines. And uh, I seen I see my first when I see my I see my first combat, I wasn't with them four hours. And uh, I mean, I just remember how grisly it was. Holy shit. Um, and uh, the, the guy who had been there the longest in my squad had been there six weeks. Six weeks and just turned 19. He was the guy calling the shots. Uh, so um, I lasted a month, and um, I came home with a raging case of uh, PTSD. I was a different guy than the guy that went. Uh, I, I I was wounded. I hit a, hit a trap going through a village at night, moving from ambush, one ambush site to the next. And, um, I mean, that's, 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 that's pretty much the story as far as the... Uh, military is concerned. But what I what I got to tell you is, is uh, my service in the Marine Corps had two different effects on me. The negative part was PTSD. Uh, the positive part is I was able to accomplish things I never dreamed of before. Uh, 
Uh, things like, for example, uh, I came home and uh, went to, after working a year as a laborer in a steel mill, I went to college at the University of Baltimore, studied accounting and graduated magna cum laude. Took the CPA exam, passed it the first time. I wouldn't have done either of those things if it wasn't for the Marine Corps. Taught myself how to program a, uh, a microcomputer uh, using a basic language. Uh, that was in, in 1975. And uh, then I learned, taught myself Pascal, C, and C++, and uh, wrote the code to uh, start a business called Parsons Technology. Parsons Technology, I um, started that business with $40,000. I sold it to, into it a number of years later for $64 million. And then uh, a couple of years later, I started a company that I eventually called GoDaddy with um, uh, the money that I had, came close to going broke, but didn't and wound up, uh, wound up on the Forbes list. And so after that, we became, I became uh, married my wife, um, Renee, and uh, we became uh, philanthropists. And uh, I, I think right now we're, we're, we're outside of GoDaddy totally, uh, but we're running about 14 companies. And um, we move a million bucks, I think, every 14 days to charity now. So anyhow, that's pretty much the story. Well, you've, uh, you've served us well, but I know there's more to that story than what you've shared, so let's dive in a little bit with your permission. I'd like to talk about how freely and vulnerably and courageously you've spoken about your advocacy for veterans with PTSD. You yourself suffered from it. Many of your colleagues and friends, I'm sure, have had um, uh, you know, indescribable journeys, right, in, in terms of the horrors of war. You've actually talked in several scenarios about your a better appreciation and understanding about treatment for PS, PTSD, specifically that, the role that alternative you know, uh, substances might play, mushrooms or psychedelics and things, and the fact that, it, fact that it's had an impact on you as well. Can you, can you have a real conversation with all of our listeners and viewers around the world of what you've learned to come to know and understand about the types of treatments available for PTSD that maybe not have not made it yet into the mainstream acceptability in the world? Okay, in 2018, I read a book called How to Change Your Mind, written by Michael Pollan, uh, which is pretty much a treatise on what we know about certain psychedelics today, and, and uh, it's it just a masterful uh, piece of work. If you haven't read it, you should. Uh, but anyhow, after I read that book and, and you know, I had uh, I have PTSD to beat the band. I mean, I had a flash temper. Uh, people would describe me as one of the most intense people they've ever met. Um, I uh, uh, didn't want to be around other people, didn't want to go places, uh, mostly wanted to isolate. Uh, uh, and um, and of course, depression, depression, you know, I'd cry often. But never when anybody was around, I'd, I'd never let anybody see me cry. Uh, but uh, so, so they were my symptoms. And what happened is, is they just started getting worse and worse. So and, and I knew that what I had was uh, uh, PTSD from that nasty war. 
And so in 2018, I talked to my wife and after reading Michael's book and I, I said, you know, I'd like to, to, to try psychedelics. I mean, I've never done anything like that in my life. And uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they can, you know, help mitigate this. Well, she had me hooked up in two weeks and um, I uh, worked with two guys over four days. And on the first day I took ayahuasca and wine and the second nasty stuff too. Yeah. But uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it'll, it'll get you righteously buzzed. So, uh, you know, I say, you know, different colors and all that sort of stuff, but a lot of tears, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, when you get treated with psychedelics, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's hard uh, because you, you have to relive all the stuff that you've got buried in your psyche that um, needs to come out and be dealt with. Uh, so the second day, um, the guide made a pot of, of psilocybin tea from magic mushrooms. And he said, I made this tea really strong, so you're only going to need um, one cup. Well, I drank all three cups, <laughs> and then I ate the tea bags. No kidding. <laughs> and, I mean, I was sailing, brother. Sailing. And uh, so, again, I mean, you know, reliving this stuff like it, like it, just, like it just happened. I mean, like you could, you could see this stuff happening. Um, and uh, the, the, the next day I took off. And me and my wife uh, went and played golf. And I mean, when, when I was out on a golf course, it was like the trees knew I was there. I mean, it sounds trite, but you know, I believe there's an intelligence there that, you know, in certain ways uh, you can see it. But uh, I've never putted so good. I've, I've never, uh, the experience was just wonderful. Uh, the fourth day, it was LSD. And um, and that the fifth day, I was a different guy. And uh, my I, I I came home, went back to work. Everybody I worked with noticed that, you know, it's like what happened to Bob? I mean, he's now he's he's so kind. He listens. He um he's he you know he doesn't um, doesn't lose his temper. Uh, he's, you know, he's complimentary. He's just such a good guy to be around. And um, even my son told his wife, he said, I'm worried about that. I'm worried that he, he found out that he's going to die soon. She says, why? And he goes, well, because he's, he, you know, he, he's calling more often and he's so nice on the phone. <laughs> well, I told him that wasn't the case. But the long and short of it, Scott was, it had been 48 years, 49 years since the war at that time. Wow. And I finally came home. Wow. Bob, did you have a, um, did you have a history of casual substance use? Was this, was this, was this um, intervention outside of the realm of things you would have ever considered? I mean, talk about how hard or easy it was for you to make the decision to have this psychedelic experience to expulge, expul, ex, 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 what's the word? 
expel, thank you, this uh, PTSD? Well, you know, before then, you know, I, 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 I didn't do drugs, you know, and right now I still hardly do drugs. Once in a while, a, a psychedelic, if, if I do that, and if I do, it's uh, uh, something called ketamine and under a doctor's supervision, and that's legal. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I was like the, the normal person that you hear psychedelics. And I grew up in the 60s and, you know, during Woodstock, I was carrying, I was carrying a, carrying a rifle in Vietnam. So, right. I mean, I was on the polar opposite of that. So I didn't know anything about anything like that. I believed what you read in the media and what the government said. You know, you, you know you're liable to see a chair turn into a, a snake and, and, you know, all that kind of you know, simple stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, so after I read the book, I, I felt a lot better. But, you know, when, when you first go and you're going to take psychedelics, you, you, you I mean, you really feel like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And, you know, all that sort of stuff. Well, it turned out that none of that was, was uh, you know, well-founded. You know, I, 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 I didn't do anything that didn't contribute to my healing and to getting all that junk out of me. And uh, my guides were wonderful, and they pretty much told me what to expect. And, I mean, it was all, it was all right on. So, um, I mean, there you go. I mean, it was uh, totally something new, new for me. And uh, to this day, what I know is, is I know that, uh, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this, you know, don't think if you go and get a psychedelic and take it that it's going to accomplish anything. It won't. Uh, because the way this works is, the, the, psych, the therapy does the healing, the psychedelic makes it possible. The psychedelic makes you more receptive, more open, and uh, th those sorts of things. And the counseling is used to ferret out all the stuff that's really got you bothered. And um, the other thing is, you know, in the event that you have a bad trip, and that's while that's that's rare, um, but uh, but in the event you have a bad trip, then you have a guide there that knows how to get you through it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. so it's very important to do it with somebody that understands what's going on. Bob, thank you again for your courage just to talk about it because I know this is a much more common conversation. I have several people in my life that have experienced trauma that have secretly, privately, because of the social shame, perceived shame that they feel like their friends or family might place on them. And I know they, they both, I have two friends that have gone through a similar psychedelic experience that have talked about it um, in enormously positive detail. People that do not use substance or use illegal drugs, and it was a big stretch for them. And so I appreciate you normalizing the conversation around this, especially for those people that perhaps are veterans that have had unspeakable traumas in their life and had PTSD. And uh, I'd encourage them to watch your interviews on podcasts and the things you've done to talk about it and perhaps even read that book. Let's pivot off that because you're more multidimensional by many means than that. 
Uh, you founded GoDaddy.com. Now, you mentioned in the opening that you had a little bit of a self-taught process on being a coder, and you had a maybe an academic or a, at least an intellectual uh, proclivity to code and to learn. How did you come up with the idea of GoDaddy? You know, GoDaddy happened because uh, after, after my non-compete with Intuit ran out, I, I, I knew I wanted to do something on the internet. And uh, so what I did was I hired uh, some, some sharp people and we started trying different things. And um, the only thing we ever tried that worked was uh, building websites. And I mean, and that was back in, in uh, uh, geez, in the, seven, in, 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 in the uh, late 80s. And so the thing that we noticed, of course, is that every website needs a domain name. And the, do and the, the domain registrars back then were terrible. They were just terrible. Uh, they were all started by engineers. A lot of them had prices that were stupid high. Uh, their, their websites, half of them didn't work. Uh, the, uh, their policies to their customers were horrific. And so, so we got the idea that if we had the lowest price, the best service, the easiest to navigate website, and you know, on and on and on, uh, that the customers would come to us for our domain names, and then eventually what they would do is they buy our software. Well, the idea was as right as rain, but what happened was <clears throat> we started making money as a domain name registrar, and never in our dreams when we set this package up did we dream that would be our, our primary product. So there you go. I mean, it just goes to show you the science is right, that I think it's something like I don't know, north of 80% of successful businesses over time have what's called an emergent strategy. It's not the deliberate strategy they set out. It's something they learned that they really had their success with a new strategy or something they didn't expect. And you're, you're a living example of that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your philosophy and entrepreneurialism. I've heard you say that one of the responsibilities of a leader and entrepreneur is to energize their people. And to the extent you believe that's still true, I've believed that also. I'm a high-energy, charismatic, almost indefatigable leader. And as I'm entering like 55 in a couple of months, I look back and I think, you know, I don't know that I can energize people. You either are energized or you're not. And I'd love to have you kind of opine on how much of a leader, an entrepreneur, is their responsibility to motivate, inspire, and energize their employees? I recognize I have to paint a vision. I have to, you know, be motivated myself. But maybe unpack that idea. Well, here's here, here's the deal, Scott. Is every business, every entrepreneur has two groups of people that that he has to excite about what he's doing. Uh, the two groups are uh, your employees and your customers. Now, the most important group there, as far as the entrepreneur is concerned, or should be con he or she should be concerned, is um, employees, because the the uh, entrepreneur is not going to be able to uh, get you know create enthusiasm for for all the uh, 
all his customers. But what he can do is create enthusiasm around all his employees and, and have products and so forth that they can be excited about. And people um, want to believe in whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, so, you know, assuming that, uh, you, you know, you, you have a product like that, you have a company like that, and this is being marketed and offered in, in, in such a way that is uh, uh, really a good deal for the customers. Uh, the employees, well, you know, they'll have a lot of enthusiasm. And as they, what do we know about enthusiasm? We know it's contagious. So as the employees talk to customers, the customers get excited about it too. And when they get to the product and the product lives up to the bill, they talk to other prospective customers and that enthusiasm moves over to them. And so there you go. I mean, you have the excitement around the brand. And uh, once you do that, you got a pretty good chance of succeeding. Bob, you mentioned, I think you were still involved in you know close to 17 companies. What are you excited about as people that see you as an iconic entrepreneur in the web space? There's no one that's been more successful than I have, I know of than you. We'll talk about your philanthropy in just a moment because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. What would you like for individuals that want to create a side hustle? They've, they are an entrepreneur, but they want to be an entrepreneur, or perhaps they're interested in something on in the digital space. Anything emerging, any principles, any ideology you would share to give people some focus or direction on how to build a business, perhaps that's digital-based or just otherwise? Well, you know, here's, here's the thing, whether it's, whether it's digital, whether it's brick and mortar, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the deal is if somebody wants to do something on the side, what they should do is something that they're really interested in, something that they love, something that if they got to do that full time would be exactly how they'd want to spend their time. And, uh, you know, and it's it got to be something they love, uh, you know, because once you love something, brother, it tells you all its secrets. And then all of a sudden you work harder at what you're doing and uh, you're, you're able to do a much better job. Now, the, the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is if they're doing it to make a difference. They wanna make a difference. They wanna make a product that is just great that they can call their own and they can say they did it and they, they, they wanna you know, have a good deal for the customers, whoever they are. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, I put my money on them. But if they were doing it just to make a buck, they don't stand a chance. Yeah. And, and what I've learned over the years is how you think, that's, that's how, that's, that all is, is what makes the difference. And so, uh, uh, you know, so if somebody's doing it because they love doing it and, and they want to make a difference, they're going to probably succeed. Bill, I believe I read that uh, you've signed the Giving Pledge, which of course is the Warren Buffett and Gates initiative to you know, have individuals like yourself uh, contribute a, a, a mind-boggling amount of your net worth to philanthropic causes. When we opened, I think you mentioned that you and your family are, to quote you, moving, did you say about $18 million? No, a million dollars every 18 days? Is that what you said? No, we, um, we, we move a million every 14 days. So every 14 days, your family is taking a million dollars of your money 
and moving it into philanthropic causes. I'm guessing 60 years ago, that thought never would have crossed your wildest imagination as you were sitting for your CPA exam. What's it like to have built a legacy where now you can make like genuine change in causes you care passionately about? Well, you know, I, I grew up pretty poor circumstances 60 years ago. I couldn't have moved 100 hours every 14 days to charity or $50 or $25 for that amount. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that we're able to do it is, is, is one of the more fulfilling things uh, that, uh, that, that we do. And, you know, I, and I do this hand in hand with my wonderful wife, Renee, and um, it is, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a, a, a beautiful thing. And, you know, we, you know, you read in the Bible that, uh, uh, you know, they say uh, to he who much is given, much is expected. And, you know, I'm on board with that. You know, you know, if you got the money and, and you can you can part with it, you know, why not help somebody, somebody else with it? And why not make somebody else's life not only easier, but the fact that they can make it to themselves and get out of whatever situation they may be in. And um, yeah, we love doing it. Bob, beautifully said. I want to finish with this. And this may seem like a trite question or I'm phoning in and I'm not. I'm actually generally interested to know, uh, what have you learned about life? You have a family. You've had some wildly successful businesses. I'm sure you've had some that haven't been successful. You've had, you've seen, experienced the horrors of war firsthand and lived to suffer through it and hopefully recover from it. What would you like those that look at you as sort of the full package, right? You've moved from a self-described, you know, kind of tyrant to now being a more loving and patient father, so much your son thought you were dying. You have enormous wealth that you're giving back. What are some of the things you'd like to remind us all about what you've learned in life? I think it's all about just being happy. You know, if you're, you're happy, be at what you're doing or you're happy when you start the day. Me, I'm happy when I wake up in the morning. That's the fact that I did wake up. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I haven't been moved to the other team by the Lord yet. <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever team that is. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just really all, all about being happy. You know, if, if, if you're happy, you got the world by the tail. And if you're not, you need to, you need to find a way to 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 take and identify what's causing you not to be happy and find some way to mitigate it. I mean, that's, that's it, and that's life in a nutshell. Bob, why do you keep working? You have more money than you can spend. You have more money than you can give away. I guess you could give it away every 13 days, but why, what motivates you to keep at it? Well, you see, Scott, I, I, I don't think we, we uh, wear out I think we rust when we stop. And I, 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 the people that I know that have retired uh, early, I mean, eventually, I, I think the brain turns to jello. So, um, you know, there's no reason we can't be in the game, you know, as, as, you know, as, as long as we want to. I think I'm, I'm going to be working until, you know, the Lord, Lord calls me by. Hopefully the Lord calls me by his side as opposed to uh, sends me 
sends me down the road. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Bob Parsons, you're a class act. I appreciate you joining us. Great conversation with you. Great way to send us off into the week ahead. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Scott. Been a pleasure. And we'll see you back here for a new conversation next week from the C-Suite.